Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This podcast is for mature audiences. It contains graphic violence and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Realm presents Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral, Episode 3. I gave my horse my spurs, urging it up the steep slope to my right. Behind me, I heard the hooves of Rosita's mount scrabbling over the rock-strewn surface. Following me, shots rang out. Musket balls thumped into the dirt or sprang off rocks. I slid to Blanco's right side, offering as small a target as I could. Though if the horse was hit, I would still be in danger. Glancing back, I saw that Rosita had done the same. Of course she had. I learned that trick from her. Our mounts charged up the slope. The two gunmen on the hillside ran down to the canyon floor, costing themselves precious seconds. They probably hoped a more level surface would allow them more accuracy. Another shot came closer than before, kicking up dirt just ahead of Blanco's hooves. The animal shifted course slightly, almost bucking me from the saddle, but I gripped tighter with my legs and managed to hang on. Then, I was up and over the peak. Rosita had already passed me and gone over it. Below, I could hear the men shouting and scrambling for their own mounts. The far side of the hill was almost as steep as the one we just climbed. And from here, the trail to Los Angeles was out of sight. Once we lost our pursuers, if indeed the men were going to give chase, we could double back to the south and cut across the trail again. But if not, it would be very easy to get lost out here. Rosita rode up next to me. Do you think they're coming? She was breathing heavily, her mouth open and her eyes bright. I was struck with almost irresistible urge to kiss her, but I forced myself to wait. I don't think we should sit around here waiting to find out. Let's follow this canyon as far as we can, then see if they're behind us. Lead the way. We started down the slope, more slowly than we'd gone up the other side, leaning back in the saddle. 
Blanco was as sure-footed as a mountain goat. We wound through the canyons for a couple of hours without seeing or hearing any signs of pursuit. So I reasoned that the men had decided we were too much trouble to bother with. We worked our way back to the main trail, but the sun had almost set when we got there. To be safe, we backed away from the trail and made camp on the far side of a nearby hill where we'd have a good view of anyone coming or going. So far, California's not very welcoming. I told Rosita why I scraped beans off a metal plate with an old fork. I'm pretty sure the ferryman robbed us. And then his friends tried to finish the job. Are you sure you don't want to go home? It's going to be much harder to do after this. Rosita set her plate down on the dirt. Joaquin, my love, I don't know if you know this, but women tell girls things about marriage that nobody ever tells boys. Older girls tell us even more. But what nobody ever told me is how exciting marriage is. At least being married to you. It's been one thing after another from the first time you tapped on my window and we went to the stables. One horrible event after another, you mean? Horrible? No. I mean, some of it was scary, but every minute of it, it's been fun. I never imagined a girl could have such adventures. And watching you take charge of things, making sudden life or death decisions, it's thrilling. I mean, I wouldn't have missed a moment of it. So you want to keep going? To Los Angeles? Then north to the goldfields? Of course, silly. That's why we're here, isn't it? Yes, that's why we're here. I set my plate aside and leaned into her. And one kiss led to more. By the time we returned to our dinners, the plates were covered with insects. Somehow, I didn't mind. Eighteen fifty, Los Angeles, California. The California Gold Rush has entered its second year, and Los Angeles remains the jumping-off point for would-be prospectors from the United States, Mexico, and countries around the world. Despite the majority Mexican population, Los Angeles operates under two sets of rules one for white prospectors, and another for Mexicans. Los Angeles proved to be friendlier. Most of the population was still Mexicano, so Rosita and I felt at home there. Although we knew nobody, it wasn't long before I found work, busting broncos at the rancho of Don Miguel Esparza. And before a month had passed, I'd earned enough money to finance the rest of our trip north. While I tamed and trained animals, Rosita worked with the landlady who rented us a room, helping her tidy up, making beds, and cooking. Having been warned by several people about absurdly high prices for mining gear in the gold towns, we decided to buy what we would need in Los Angeles and carry it with us. While shopping for pans and shovels and blankets and such, I saw a bowie knife I coveted. It was heavy, solid, and would serve to skin and cut game. Or men, if it came to that. It added an extra $10 to the price, but it felt like a good investment. 
The shopkeeper helped to carry our new possessions out to the streets and set them down in the dirt. We set to work arranging everything on our two horses and tying them into place for the ride north. We were almost finished when a tall, barrel-chested man with legs like tree trunks and arms to match strode up to us. He had short-cropped blonde hair and a strangely flat face. A star-shaped silver badge gleamed on his chest with the words Al A. County Deputy Sheriff engraved on it. Morning, folks. I don't believe I met you all. Name's Schmidt, Deputy Sheriff Jacob Schmidt. I extended a hand, which Schmidt took in a crushing grip. I'm Joaquin. This is my wife, Rosa. It's a pleasure. Looks like you're packing for a trip. That's right. You're a miner? A wave of pride washed over me. No one had ever called me a miner, but I was no longer a horse trainer. I'd given up my past profession, my former country, my old life. I was a new man. And yes, a miner. Even if I hadn't actually started mining yet. Yes, I'm a miner. Hmm, is that right? You pay the tax inside the store? Tax? What, what tax? The foreign miners tax. The governor just signed it into law. Not too long ago, $20 every month from every foreign miner. I had heard some discussions of that, but I hadn't paid much attention. California politics were confusing and seemed far removed from my life. But I'm not mining yet. I'm standing here in Los Angeles. The gold fields are far away. You just told me you was a miner. I meant I, I will be. <laughs> Look, you can't be a miner one second and not a miner the next. It don't work that way. I was tall and muscular, but next to this man, I felt like a dwarf. I looked past the big man for someone who might be able to help me explain myself. But, but you see... All I see is a Mexican who says he's a miner, but he ain't paid the tax. Look, I'm the law in this county. You don't want to go see the inside of our jail. You got to shout out. We already paid the landlady and packed our things. For all I knew, she'd already rented our room to somebody else. Where would Rosita go if I was jailed? I had just handed over $75 to the shopkeeper on the advice of some men I met at Don Miguel's. I've divided my money into three stacks and put some in a pocket, some in my boot, and some in my saddlebags. I reached into my pocket and pulled out some coins. Schmidt plugged two away from my open palm, then two more. That's not 20. 20 for you, 20 for her. She's not a miner. You riding both these horses north? Or is one for her? I'm not leaving my wife behind. Sure looks like mining gear on her horse there. Well, yes, of course, but, but then she's a miner. Arguing with the man wasn't going to help. I closed my fist before Schmidt took the rest of my money and dropped it back into my pocket. Are we finished then? We're done. You leaving town? Leaving town and the county just as fast as we can. Schmidt grinned like he heard some good news. Sounds like a good idea. 
You folks have a safe trip. Yeah. And thank you for visiting. May 1850, Sawmill Flat, California. The cities of Los Angeles and San Francisco have just been incorporated, as California is fast-tracked to statehood. Mexicans are increasingly marginalized in a land that was once theirs. I stood in frigid water almost up to my knees. I plucked a few stones and pebbles from my pan and tossed them back into the creek, then bent over and submerged the pan in the running water. The sun was hot on my back, contrasting with the almost painful cold of my feet. Tilting the pan into the current, I swirled it gently, letting the flow wash away the lighter sand and mineral flakes. After a couple of minutes of this, I raised it out of the creek and shook it to level what remained. This action would settle the gold in the bottom of the pan. I repeated the process a couple of more times. Each one made the pan a little lighter. Finally, there was nothing left in the pan but a little water, some black sand, some shiny flecks, and a nugget. I sat on the bank, doffed my sombrero, and wiped the sweat from my eyes, the better to examine my prize. A nugget, my first. At its widest point, about as far across as my little fingernail, I heard stories of fist-sized nuggets, but those always sounded improbable, happening to someone nobody seemed to know personally. This was small, a tiny pebble, but it was proof. When we first arrived from Los Angeles, late one afternoon, dusty from the road, we were welcomed with hugs and laughter and tequila. Although Chuy and Pablo had moved on what they claimed was a richer digging, Jesus and Tres Dedos had already made friends among the local Mexican community. And everyone was there for the arrival party. In the morning, Jesus took me for a walk, showing me the stretch of the creek that was our claim. On the side where Jesus and Tres Dedos had erected a large tent, a grassy slope led down to an earthen bank with a cutaway to make access to the water easier. This is beautiful, Jesus. I couldn't even imagine this. It's like heaven. It's a good spot, Jesus agreed. We've already found some color and started a little stash in the cabin. I know the place is small. You and Rosita will want to find a place of your own once you're making real money, but you're welcome to stay with us as long as you like. Sometimes I wondered if the changes in my life were real. They seem too good, too perfect to be happening to someone like me. Thank you for finding this place and for insisting that I come. Of course, Joaquin, I wouldn't want to be here without you. It's amazing that you found such a great spot to claim. Was it difficult? That's what I want to talk to you about, Joaquin. It's, man, it's complicated here, for Mexicanos especially. Any foreigners, really. I know that, some of it anyway. I told Jesus about my encounter with Jacob Schmidt and paying the foreign miners tax. I suppose you've had to pay that too. We haven't. You see, officially we're employees, not miners. Employees? Of who? It turns out that there's a way 
that Mexicanos can work claims that would otherwise be forbidden to them. How does that work? We met a man. He was actually in the American army during the war, but he seems to have put aside any grudges. Officially, Harry owns the claim and we're just working on his behalf. Harry, who is that? The soldier, Harry Love. He made a go of panning for gold, but he turns out to be terrible at it. Standing in the cold water aggravates his war wounds. He can't pan for gold, but he can own a claim. We can't own a claim, but we can work one. So the deal is, we give him a little of everything we find, and he gives us the legal right to work here. It was a lot to take in. The idea that Tres Dedos sat down to have a business discussion with the former American soldier was itself amazing. The war had been over for years, but not as far as Tres Dedos was concerned. Does this Harry take a lot? Half? Oh, no. One quarter? We told him he'd be joining us, so his riches would build faster once that happened. And so will ours. Even at three quarters, we still be wealthy in no time. I'm not sure if I like working for the benefit of an American. If Manuel can do it, so can you. Mostly we're still working for ourselves. Joaquin, but the prejudice against foreigners here is real. The way the gringos look at us is chilling. Sometimes, like we're not even human. Almost as if they fought to take back land that was rightfully theirs, instead of to steal it from us. I try to look at the positive side of things. So by working with love, you don't have to pay the tax and we're able to work a promising claim. If we didn't have them, we couldn't get near the creek. We'd be out in the hills somewhere digging for color, but it's far easier to take it out of the water. And if anyone comes around to collect taxes, we just tell them to talk to Harry. Trust me, Harry's not the kind of man people want to tangle with. What is he like? He reminds me of Tres Dedos, in a way. He's a big guy, tough. He comes around every few days to check on us and to pick up his take. I'm sure you'll meet him soon. I can't wait. That was a lie, though I hope the harmless one. I had reservations about this deal, suspicions about the motives of any white man who would set up such an arrangement with a couple of Mexicans. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I dug from my pocket the small bottle Jesus had given me, pulled the cork, and dropped in the nugget. I held it up to the light, eyeing its gleam. Jesus and Tres Dedos had gone in town for supplies, and I wished they were here to see it. You got some? That was Horace Beeman, one of the five Americans who joined forces to work the neighboring stretch of the creek, just down from ours. Beeman was an anxious type, and when he worked up a good sweat, he cast off an order that reminded me of a decomposing horse we passed on our way to California. He and his comrades were building a large rocker they called a Long Tom to more efficiently separate gold from the other materials found in the creek. I did, I answered Beeman. You a gold miner now. I felt a flush of pride. I was truly a gold miner now. Howdy, Miss Rosita. Your fella done found some color. I turned to see Rosita walking towards the creek from our tent. Her beauty made me forget, momentarily, about the bottle in my hand. Is it true, Joaquin? I showed her the bottle. Not a lot, but it's a start. She quickened her pace, her mouth dropping open. That's actually gold? Nothing else looks like this. When she neared me, I rose and howled out the bottle to her. Instead of taking it, she stepped into my arms and pressed her lips to mine. My miner, my love. I heard a whoop from downstream. Glancing over, I saw Beeman and one of his companions, Sam McIntosh, watching. McIntosh called out to us. We don't see a lot of kissing around here. You two want to keep at it. Be our guest. That was true, I suppose. Men outnumbered women by at least 100 to 1, and maybe more. Sawmill Flat was going fast. The sawmills for which it was named had recently been completed and operated around the clock employing dozens of men to produce lumber for all the booming towns around the diggings. Most of the employees were Mexicanos who'd come looking for gold, but instead found only tapped out fields. Others were whites working side by side with the Mexicanos. And California was a free state, so few black Americans had joined the labor force as well. With the growth of Sawmill Flat had come businesses catering to the miners and mill workers. So far, those businesses were mostly saloons and gambling halls, and two churches, including the Catholic one Rosita and I attended. A couple of brothels had recently joined the mix, which meant women were no longer completely unavailable, but for most of the men, they came at a price. None compared to Rosita, at least in my eyes. I understood why Beeman and the others would admire her. I didn't like the way they looked like hungry dogs eyeing an unattended butcher's counter. A hard rain had made panning impossible, as Jesus had pointed out. The point of panning is to pour enough water from the pan to be able to see the gold inside. If the pan fills up faster, then you can empty it. It won't work. In the middle of the rainy afternoon, Fed up with being inside, he and Tres Dedos put on slickers and rode into Sawmill Flat for a drink. 
Rosita and I took advantage of the unexpected privacy and made love. Something woke me after a while, but I couldn't figure out what. Silence? The rain had stopped. The wind had died down and all seemed still outside. But no, there was something else. A kind of shambling sound. A bear? I rolled away from Rosita, catching a glimpse of her lovely form. Still naked, I snatched up a musket and checked to ensure that it was loaded. Whatever was outside came closer. I threw back the tent flap and stepped out, gun first. A burly, brown-bearded man stood outside, eyes wide, staring at me. When he spoke, his voice had a gravelly, growling quality. Where the hell's Jesus Manuel? Every hour this claim ain't being work, somebody else is gonna get the gold that should be ours. Reckon you're the brother. I lowered the gun, suddenly embarrassed by my nudity. Then I felt motion at my shoulder, and Rosita stood there, only a thin shawl draped over herself. The man's eyes widened even more, and a smile formed on his lips. And you're the wife. Get inside, I said. She slipped away, and I turned back to the stranger. Yes, I'm Joaquin. Who are you? Names, Harry Love, and this here's my claim. Why ain't it being worked? The rain rains over. I glanced at the creek, running fast and high. Love was right. The clouds were gone, and the sun was shining. It was raining when I, when I went to sleep. <laughs> sleep, is it? All right. You're awake now, son. Best get to it. I will. Where's your brother and Manuel? They went into town a while back. Our deal says that work every day but Sunday. That's your deal with them? I'm, I'm not part of that. If you work in my claim, you're part of it. Stop asking me questions then and let me put on some pants. Please do, son. Ain't nobody want to look at that. I gave up expecting the man to stop talking. I stepped back into the tent and let the flap fall close. Rosita watched me, disappointed. Do you have to go? It looks like I do. As the weeks turned into months and summer slipped into autumn, we pulled more and more gold from the creek. We filled bottles of it, cut Harry Love in on his share and still had enough for our needs and to send some home to Trincheras. I hoarded most of what I had in my tent until I was able to buy a small adobe house I'd had my eye on. Jesus and Tres Dedos built a small cabin where the tent had stood. The claim didn't look like it would play out anytime soon, so we all expected to stay put indefinitely. Rosita and I enjoyed our newfound privacy and I was sure my brother and cousins were glad to get two lovers out from under their noses. The downstream neighbors had built a long time to replace pans and manual labor, but even with that, they weren't as successful. I heard angry mutterings that I was snatching all the gold from the river before it could reach them, and a few times I saw them shoveling sediment from my side of the line, dividing their claims. In the interest of good relations, I didn't say anything, but the more I noticed it, the more resentful I became. 
Just as they became more surly every time they saw me, Jesus, and Tres Dedos carry more gold into the cabin. Outright theft was rarely a problem in the diggings, but they were different kinds of theft. If those men were indeed scooping up the creek bottom from the claim I worked under the belief that more gold lay on one side of an imaginary line than on the other, then they were knowingly stealing my gold before I could get to it. I didn't actually believe I had more gold on my side. More likely, my slow, labor-intensive method of extracting it revealed more than their back-saving long tom. Had they been willing to pan each day like we did, the five of them could have turned up several times the gold. But they wanted to get it the easy way. And the easy way didn't always pay off. One late summer morning, I rode through the woods to the creek's edge and saw the big Irishman, Jack Mohannon, hauling a shovel at sediment from the middle of my claim toward the rocker. Jesus and Tres Dedos were nowhere to be seen. Wading through the creek, humming to himself, Bohannon hadn't heard my approach. Hold there, Jack. Bohannon spun toward me. The head of his shovel drooped and the wet muck began to slide off. Hey, Marietta, you're a little off your claim there, aren't you? Bohannon looked toward the claim marker on the bank, as if just noticing it. Oh, I guess so. Sorry. His surprise was feigned. I knew it, and Bohannon didn't take pains to make it convincing. Ferd Wetzel, youngest of the bunch and rail thin, stood outside their tent and watched the scene. You weren't here, Marietta. It's early yet. And whether I'm here or not, that claim is ours and Harry's. Do you want me to tell him about this? Bohannon turned the blade of his shovel over and emptied it. No hard man, Joaquin. Well, see you don't do it again. Please. Bohannon nodded and waded back to his side of the line. Wetzel just stayed where he was, eyeballing me with an angry expression, as if I were the trespasser here. Two nights later, a fandango was held on the edge of Sawmill Flat. A wooden platform had been quickly constructed for people to dance on. Some of the town's Mexican population brought their instruments. Soon, guitarras were strumming, tambourines shaking, and the rhythmic beat of the dancers' feet added percussion, almost drowning out the powerful voice of the singer. After dancing, whirling, and stomping ourselves into near exhaustion, Rosita and I took to the sidelines. She drifted away with some female friends, and I spotted a group of Mexicans confronting a single man at the edge of the crowd. The way they stood was tense, fist clenched, a couple of them clutching bottles or knives. One of them shifted, and I saw the man facing them down. 
Harry Love was arguing, red-faced in the lantern light. I didn't know what the dispute was about, but I didn't want a fight to break out. I moved up behind the men. What's going on here? A few of the Mexicans spun around. I recognized a man named Juan, who worked at a sawmill. This gringo wants to come in. He wants to drink our tequila and dance with our women, even though he hates Mexicanos. I know him. He's my friend. Do you hate Mexicans, Harry? Most of them, on account of behavior like this. I glanced at the other men. The knives were still out. The bottles grasped by the necks as if to use as clubs or to break and slash with. I had to calm things down or someone was going to be hurt. Easy, compadres. Harry doesn't mean any harm. A fandango is supposed to be about fun, not fighting. Let's all have a drink. What do you say? I say he doesn't belong here. Juan lifted the bottle he carried. You could feel the sense of menace in the air. These men hungered for a fight, and the wrong word now would start it. If it wasn't for the gold, there would be no need for a sawmill, Juan. The only reason you have a job is the gold people like Carrie and I take from the earth. Finish what's in your bottle and find yourself a girl. Same goes for the rest of you. Dancing's more fun than fighting, and it could lead to even better things. Juan hesitated, but then I saw his anger fade, replaced by a lecherous grin. (laughs) Well, you make a good point, Joaquin. I'll think I'll do that. Come on, guys. Juan and the others walked away. My muscles relaxed, and so did Harry's. Thanks, Joaquin. If they come at me, I don't know as if I would have been able to take them on. You just might have saved my life tonight. I think you could have handled all of them, even if they weren't half drunk. Love laughed at that. I led him to a table away from the dancers and fetched us a bottle of mezcal. I'm a little surprised to see you here, Harry. Some of my crews are here. I have to make sure they don't drink too much to work. Tomorrow's Sunday, our day off. If men try hard enough, they can drink right through until Monday, then be too sick to show up. I suppose. I'm pleasantly drunk myself, to tell you the truth. How about you? I tip my bottle toward him. Just a bit. Good boy. I like you, Joaquin. You work hard, and your wife's a great cook. I appreciate that, Harry. You're not so bad yourself. For a gringo. Just figured I'd tell you that. You keep working hard, We'll all get rich and get along just fine. Now that's my plan. Good. You're one of the good ones, Joaquin. I knew what he meant by that. The implication being that most Mexicanos weren't good and that being one of the good ones meant one who knew his place and stayed there. Still, I couldn't help liking the man who'd made it possible for me and my family to earn more than we'd ever dream of having in such a short time. Soon after, I wandered away. The Fandango was winding down now, and people were beginning to stray back to their homes. From the darkness at the edge of the field, I saw Ferd Wetzel, 
who I hadn't even known had attended. Approached Rosita. He took her arm in a firm grip and said a few words. She yanked her arm free, responded what would look like a stern words of her own, then stalked away. Wetzel slipped back into the shadows and I lost sight of him as I moved to intercept Rosita. What did Wetzel want? Oh, he was just being stupid. Stupid out. What did he say? Nothing of any importance. Don't worry about it, Joaquin. When a man like that speaks to my wife, I worry about it. Really, my love, it was nothing. I'm your husband. You need to tell me. He told me that if I ever need a real man, I should let him know. That bastard. I'll kill him. No, Joaquin, you won't. I saw him and his friends getting into the mezcal earlier. By morning, I doubt he'll even remember saying it. But you're, you're, you're... I know. Your wife, who you love and who loves you like nothing else on earth. Nothing that pig says can change that. But you have to work near them every day. So you should just forget about this. Forget it? Never. Joaquin, promise me. There are five of them, and they are Americans. They have the law on their side. If you started anything, I wouldn't be the one who started it. Just the one who finished it. Rosita wrapped her arms around me, trying to soothe me. Please, my love, let this go. There's no way to make it better, and no need to. We only need to forget about it. I'll try to forget because you asked, but I make no promise about what might happen the next time I see his ugly face. If Tres Dedos found out, he'd kill Wetzel on the spot. Just, just please don't tell him or Jesus and try to stay out of trouble. If something happened to you, I'd be lost. Then you know just how I feel. My heart, promise me this. If he ever speaks to you again, outside of my presence, you tell me. I swear it, Joaquin. All right then, let's go home. You're listening to Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral. Blood and Gold is a Realm production in association with Stryker Entertainment. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. With all the billionaires flying into space these days, you'd think it was the most exclusive club in the galaxy. But the universe is vast and full of mysteries, secrets even that may make even the bravest of us rethink our haste in the space race. If you're fascinated by the lengths humanity will go to to colonize the outer reaches of the universe, I have a new fiction podcast for you. In The Vela, a refugee returns to her home planet in search of a missing ship. This is no ordinary rescue mission, though. The ship may be the last piece in a complex puzzle designed to bring salvation to the failing galaxies. And she isn't the only one trying to find it. The Vela is airing now, wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Blood and Gold stars Richard Cabral, based on the novel Blood and Gold, The Legend of Joaquin Murrieta, by Jeffrey J. Marriott and Peter Murrieta. 
produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Adapted for audio by Greg Cox. Directed by Elizabeth Nolden. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, Russell Binder, Peter Murrieta, Julian Yap, and Richard Cabral. Historical notes read by Elena Ray. Spanish dialogue translated by Alana Grafham. Regional dialect coaching by Luis Armando Mercado Campos. Sound design by Eric Mooney. Mixing, mastering, and additional sound design by Rory O'Shea. Audio editing by Corey Barton. Original score by Juan Carlos Enriquez. Music supervision by Marcus Begala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadoli. Find more shows like Blood and Gold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.